All right. And Eric, yeah, I did want to get uh, a little bit more from you there because you did mention the home field advantage and the referees. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about that? I guess, how does that work? What were you seeing? And uh, yeah, how does this break down? Is this something that you actively are, are building in when you're modeling and, and looking at things uh, in terms of how games might go? Yeah, I mean, we've seen it. So like you look at um, one of the things that we looked at is, is okay, whether or not so home field advantage, I'll just, I'll just preface this. Home field advantage is a very tough problem. Um, our friend Josh Hermsmeyer wrote about it on 538, quickly got a bunch of backlash by, from professional gamblers and things like that because he hadn't factored X, Y, and Z. And I still thought Josh's analysis was great. Um, the book Scorecasting, which I recommend to anybody who wants to get into like sports analytics or be sports analytics adjacent, basically, you know, they did their studies and ultimately everything, once you controlled for everything, it was mostly refereeing. Uh, and once you saw, and we're seeing this in the NFL now, a pro, pro, uh, proliferation of um, eyeballs and scrutiny on referees has tended to decrease home field advantage, right? You see it in NFL or college football, home field advantage has dra uh, dropped drastically over the, uh, you know, the, the time period we've looked at and NFL as well. And the refereeing calls sort of correspond to crowd size. So even if you look at sort of crude measures of the size of the, of the stadiums, you get a positive correlation with home field advantage. So it, it's very interesting. We saw that manifest itself a couple of times this week. You know, the Los Angeles Rams played at home against the San Francisco 49ers in a crowd that was very red and, and you know, almost all San Francisco 49ers fans. And, you know, as a result, they ended up losing, uh, you know, among other things. And then the Sunday night football game, the Chargers, uh, you know, basically had zero fans in their own stadium. Steelers uh, team travels well. So it's less about the travel, uh, you know, the wear and tear there. It's less about, um, uh, you know, Warren Sharp did a study on this as well. It's it's less about the crowd because, frankly, like most of us are more interested in the league as a whole than our particular team. Um, and it's very much about, you know, the things associated with referee bias as well as sort of like how referee bias corresponds to the crowd at hand. Yeah, and so when we're talking about the referee bias, and you're saying that the crowd size and things, because I've I've read you know pieces that say that you know there's there's a correlation between like what sideline the referees are are working and and the number of calls that will go one way versus another. Is it just like the loudness of the atmosphere? Is it the coaches working the referees? Like what is it that actually goes into that that home field bias when the referees are yeah making calls that maybe skew one way or the other? I mean, it's it's one of those like psychology things, right? Where you know they've done study after study in behavioral, it's behavioral economics, psychology, like that kind of thing, where people will simply go with the crowd even if they know something or or they believe something else. Um, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was, you know they they give these you know people a, a collection of questions, um, and then they tell the the person sort of what the consensus uh, you know is essentially, um, and and people will people have reported, you know, saying one thing, even though they believed another because they wanted to conform to the crowd and not and not to say the referees are doing this consciously. But it's it's one of those things where if you hear consistently the you know other people trying to, you know, uh, lobby you in a direction, you're going to you're going to subconsciously lean that way. And we saw this last night, like, you know. It doesn't take much, right? It, it, you know, if you take away any one of those penalties on or lack of penalties on Detroit, and that game's probably won by the Lions. Um, 
It doesn't have to be systematic. It doesn't have to, and it doesn't have to be every game, right? We're talking about over 256 games per year over the course of, you know, decades of, of play, like a, a, a call flipped here or there. And that's general, you know, home field advantage in the NFL is basically 56, 57%. Um, it, you know, it doesn't take much. And, 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 and so the explanations have to be pretty nuanced because it's not something hugely systematic like that. And so in saying that, that's something that I wanted to, to, I guess, get either of you to jump in on is that there does seem to be a sentiment amongst, you know, fans, Vikings fans, that all of the good teams benefit from all of these things. And then all of our teams, which generally aren't as good, uh, don't have as much margin for error, are the ones who are, you know, on the short end of the stick all the time. So Green Bay gets all the calls. New England gets all the calls all the time. Is that something that actually bears out in the numbers or is it just, you know, A, they're better to begin with, so they have more margin for error going into these games. And oftentimes this, you're seeing these things maybe in a primetime game when you're on the road and it's just a kind of natural home field bias that you'd be seeing. I mean, it's exactly, you know, it's the same answer to the Kirk Cousins in primetime question, right? It's like, why is Kirk Cousins bad in primetime? Well, Generally speaking, the Vikings aren't the reason the game's in prime time. It's the other team that's better than them. And then the Vikings kind of move up to varsity to play them. And you you wouldn't expect the worst team to win those games the majority of the time. Um, same thing. And, and that's, again, why this is such a hard problem, because you mentioned Green Bay, one of the better home field advantages in the NFL. New England, one of the better home field advantages in the NFL. Pittsburgh uh, is another one. And then you look like the worst, the most penalized team this year is the Cleveland Browns who also happen to be one of the most undisciplined teams in the NFL as far as drop passes and so on and so forth. So it's a really hard problem to tease away the, you know, it's a really hard problem to tease away the signal, which I think teams being undisciplined, like the Oakland Raiders for like 20 years, right? Like tease away a team being fundamentally undisciplined and that showing up always in the penalty count and things like that. And a team just getting like more penalties called on them. Um, I would say that it's probably, I, I think it's a cycle and I think that there's some bias in there, but there's a ton of uh, no, a signal in there, right? Green Bay is really good. So they have more fans, right? So they, so their stadium is more prone to referee bias as a result, right? And then they win, right? And then winning team that, you know, winning in the NFL in a small sample size game snowballs. So then they have more raucous fans, which leads to a little bit more referee, like, and, and it sort of continues along there. Referee bias probably being the smallest part of that entire thing, but probably a little bit real, uh, you know, but it, it all comes down to, you know, uh, some of the signal things, which is how good are you? How disciplined are you? Uh, you know, in teams like New England, uh, they don't get calls on them a lot because they're, you know, they're also like, you know, they're the best coach team in the NFL. Yeah, so last thing on this, for as Vikings fans, then, given the fact that, you know, U.S. Bank Stadium has become a pretty significant home field advi- uh, advantage for the Vikings, is this something that we should start to, to project or, or bank on or expect for ourselves in the future that uh, this referee bias will, will start to lean in our way just based on the uh, the, the raucous environment of, of U.S. Bank Stadium? Sure. I, th- I mean, I, to the degree that it will continue to matter, and I'm, and as I said earlier, I think it's decreasing because of the increased scrutiny on the NFL, um, especially officials in the NFL. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Vikings' home field advantage is higher than probably anybody's in the league at this point, um, and that there's a number of reasons for that. I think it's, you know, it's it goes all the way back to like the Dennis Green days where they had a fast, small defense and the turf 
really help them. Uh, you know, they have a sma- a fast, sm- uh, small defense now, and, and the turf, you know, and the, and the playing surface really helps them. Um, you know, it, it, yeah, they have a really good home field advantage. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they went, you know, undefeated this season uh, at home, um, you know, because they've almost gone undefeated at home the last, you know, two or three seasons. Uh, you know, just some, you know, really noisy things that, that hurt them uh, last season. Well, boom. Well, Nick, I want to get you in here before we wrap this uh, this bonus segment up. A lot of things happened in the league today. I'm not sure how many of them you were able to keep up with while you were at work, but of uh, the crazy action trades, things that happened like that today, uh, which of those do you see as being the most impactful as we move uh, forward to the rest of the season? Well, obviously, the Jalen Ramsey trade tonight was uh, probably the biggest move we'll see all season. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, Khalil Mack, who arguably the best edge player, Odell Beckham, arguably the best wide receiver. And now Jalen Ramsey, arguably the best cornerback, have all been moved in recent seasons. It's, it's interesting to see. And, you know, I it, I can kind of see both sides. I think, obviously, L.A. is giving up a ton of draft capital to bring in Jalen Ramsey. But at the same time, and this is something we've emphasized before, coverage is something that's extremely valuable. Um, and, and Ramsey is, what, 25? And uh, will be extended and you'll have, you know, arguably the an all pro caliber corner for uh, the next few years. That's um, are you going to get something better than that uh, in in the draft? Probably not. I mean, especially considering the Rams are hoping to be a team picking at the later end of the first round um, that you can see why the Rams are are, are talking themselves into doing, especially with the, the type of coverage that um, Wade Phillips likes to run down there. Uh, it's a lot of man stuff, and that's kind of where Ramsey's kind of a your ideal press man. You know, he's kind of like uh, what what Xavier Rhodes in his prime looked like in, in a lot of ways. You know, in 2017 when he was having that all pro caliber season, that's kind of who Jalen Ramsey is, and I think it fits that system really well. So it makes a lot of sense. At the same time, um, you know, draft capital is most valuable when you don't have your quarterback because that's ammo you can trade up to go get your guy, or it's additional picks that you can continue to fill out the roster and build a supporting cast. Um, or it's, you know, it's, it's just additional stuff to build the team because if you have, um, you know, Nick Foles or uh, you're not sure about Mishnu uh, going forward, uh, it's, it's, it's additional stuff to move up and move forward. So I think it's a trade that makes a lot of sense for, for both sides. Um, I think it's a lot to give up, but I think, you know, there's an extent to which we can kind of overvalue draft picks, especially early first round or, or later first round draft picks because uh, it's kind of... Um, you know, it's a prize box like and anything could be in it. But the chances are you're probably not going to get a player of Jalen Ramsey's caliber in the back end of the first round. So it's an interesting, um, interesting trade to talk about from both sides, just because uh, you know, there's a lot of pieces and value and things, components and not to mention the cap and everything else that goes into it. So um, I can see I can see the argument for both sides there. Awesome. And Eric, is, uh, is Jalen Ramsey going to play running back for the Rams? I mean, jeepers. Yeah, I you know, the part is right now is that this looks like an act of desperation on the Rams part and I don't know if it'll hit you know we have them with about a six percent chance to win that division um let let alone get a first round buy and a team without a first round buy has not made uh this Super Bowl since the 2012 Ravens so um you know I don't know if now is the time they have a time but Ultimately, from their perspective, it's it's about the L.A. thing, right? They're moving into a new stadium. You know, they've already lost the Rams once. Uh, they need to continue to get these team, you know, the, these fans in the seats uh, for the new stadium. Um, 
and so I, I understand it from that perspective. But as far as the actual move, uh, I'm a little nervous about it for the for the Rams, quite frankly. All right. Well, there it is, gentlemen. Thank you for sticking around with me a little bit later to uh, give us this bonus coverage here on one of the topics du jour, which is the officiating, you know, home field, all those things. And also, obviously, some of the uh, the, the news of the day. So uh, that is it. We will uh, wrap this up. Get you gentlemen on out of here. Listeners, as always, thanks for sticking with us. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Have a good one.